Blue, 42. Blue, 42. Omaha. Omaha. Set, hut. Well, Paul, that really looked like it's a first down for Spooner. All right, first down. Huddle up, huddle up. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. Paul here, joined by Dan and Becca. We're going to do a little uh, sports med huddle recap for you all. So just a few weeks ago, we finished our second annual sports medicine conference, the huddle. I think it went really well. Great speakers really enjoyed it. We just have a little power run through of like some of our favorite moments, some of our thought provoking components, and you know, get some little excitement going for next year and some of the future years for it. I'm excited to talk about it today because it's interesting with how involved you, you guys and myself are in the planning that sometimes you need a few weeks to think about it to really realize what happened. Um, and even just talking about it in the preparation. It's, there was so many good things, and I'm excited to talk more with you guys about it and share it with the audience. You mean so the knowledge can actually sink in? You're not just like terrified. Is the mic going to work? Is the speaker going to be okay? Is everything set up? Are the lights going to go off? Are the, all those wonderful, fun things? You finally finally passed all that? Yeah, just a few things. It takes a couple weeks to get over it. Understandable. Well, and don't forget, those of you who were not able to attend in person, uh, eventually this will be available on a virtual platform so that based on our discussions today and you are even more intrigued than you were before, especially if you couldn't fly down in March, do not forget that there is a virtual platform option for 2023 as well as still for 2022. Yep. And I've seen some of the videos so far and our team is doing a really good job of putting it together. So I think even if you couldn't be there in person, you're really going to enjoy the virtual experience that we're trying to put together for everyone. Nice. I like it. All right, you guys ready for some questions? Yes. Just keep it simple and fun to start. What was the funniest moment? So the funniest moment for me, and I have a feeling we might have the same one, is Dr. Charles Peterson did a little bit of a voiceover, which hopefully we'll be able to share with you all. Um, we did a really funny commercial with Dr. Wozlewski where he was imitating one of our other speakers, Buddy Morris. He did a little, ripped his shirt off, showed some bicep, which when you see Buddy, you'll understand why he did that. And uh, we couldn't get the sound to work. And so Dr. Peterson just took over for the sound. And I think everybody was absolutely rolling. And it worked out perfect because it was Saturday morning when everybody just got there. It was kind of the energy we all needed to get that day started for sure. Yeah, I, I have to agree. That was the funniest moment for me. And the, the part of it that was unbelievable was it. you could tell he just totally took it off the cuff. But it was so perfectly spot on. And I mean, again, the audience was just rolling, laughing. I think doc, Dr. Wazuski, who I was sitting next to, about fell out of his chair. He was laughing so hard. Oh, it's funny. Like you said, you can tell it was off the cuff, but on the flip side, it's also like, that could have easily been like a rehearsed voiceover. Yeah. It was so perfectly matched up and so perfectly in sync with where to go. He did an amazing job of that one for sure. Just so I don't copy, I'll just throw another of my favorite moments out there. I just, Buddy Morris as a moment in a human being himself is just yes. kind of comedy personified. I do love how his first slide talked about the mess that goes typically with intelligence. And he showed a picture of his workspace with the Cardinals and how it's just stuff everywhere. And then his slides followed suit perfectly. It was just a literal <laughs> stream of consciousness with no actual organization to it in any capacity. Like I think Julianne here, who's kind of our uh, type A personality of Orient, she might have probably partially died of stress <laughs> trying to look at the slides and figure out how this all coordinated together and what was appropriate for it. 
Followed by, how many times did Buddy say just one more story? At oh, least yeah. five? At least At five. At least five times. And while literally leaving the stage, she started telling another story <laughs> from the side as Becca's trying to get the next speaker introduced. <laughs> Thank you, Buddy. Thank you for exactly what we knew we were getting, which is amazing intelligence and a really good show. <laughs> yeah, that was funny as well. There was a few F-bombs in there. Once again, it really like spiced up just appropriately. Got a lot of good laughs. But yeah, one more story, and I was about to just pull him off the stage because I thought... I'm trying to keep us on time, but we're not doing it right now. But he was so entertaining that, and he's so smart, as you mentioned, that obviously it was worth the extra time that he spent up there doing his thing. He might be the only human being that can pull off using the penguin walk in a sports medicine conference and actually be like, oh, yeah, you seem like an athletic guy who knows the stuff. This is appropriate. I like <laughs> right. this. Good yeah, job. That's a good point, too. <laughs> All right. We're, we're going to move away, do something a little bit, a little bit deeper now. What was your most thought-provoking session? So for me, I'm going to have to give a shout out to Laura from U.S. Soccer and how they utilize with their national players, especially on the you know U19, U17 team, with tracking data when they're away from the training weeks with U.S. Soccer. So the, the, the athletes are back in their home cities training and playing but yet they're still tracking that at a national level, you know, via a subjective survey, hopefully on a daily basis, and how then that is compiled through their sports analytics department and communicated across the entire organization coming into, you know, a seven or a 28-day training camp of, hey, these these athletes are hitting their stride. We're, we're happy with where they are. Perhaps these athletes are a little undertrained and these athletes are a little overtrained. And why it was really thought provoking for me was how can I potentially take that same concept, but take it to a smaller level because here we don't have the means to employ a sports analytic specialist. And I would imagine a lot of local club teams don't have that capability so how could we take the concepts without all of the additional technology features, but still match that up to ensure that when it's time to compete, the athletes are ready to compete because as she shared, you know, the way that they prepared, they had players ready at every stage of world tournaments, which was pretty remarkable. Yeah, I really liked her talk as well. But I think for me, if we're choosing, you know, for ourselves, thought provoking, I really enjoyed Nick and Brett's discussion about rehabilitation for the foot and ankle. And one of the things that I liked the most about it is that they didn't show us a lot of equipment, right? When we talk about sports medicine all the time, we think athletes have to have these massive spaces. They have to have all this equipment. Otherwise we can't do what we need to do with them. And what I so appreciated is their talk is one that you can take back on Monday and implement so many of those rehab ideas. And so much of it, like you'll see in there, um, if you didn't already see it, you know, there's exercises called like the Paranickies that they literally named after Nick because Nick just went home and thought, okay, how do we do what we need to do with the foot and ankle using what we have? And you'll really see that there's not a lot of equipment used. It's stuff that most clinics have. And it was just such a good reminder that 
we don't always need all the equipment. What we need is to get creative and be comfortable being creative and knowing that with all that we know about how the body works, how to get athletes back, we can do that if we just take some time, oftentimes out of treating patients, but take some time and think, okay, how can I do what I need to do with this person with what I have? And how much athletes really appreciate that too, that they see that you are going that extra mile to make sure that they get what they need to get done in order to return to sport. So I just thought it was really interesting. I also think it's just one of those things that's so applicable like the next day after you see it. I think that's like the perfect answer as well, Becky, kind of the thought-provoking question with the individuals that are going back and thinking through really like, what can I do? How do I get creative? How do I find the thing this individual needs? And Brett talks very positively about a lot of people he's worked with and learned from over the years, but particularly with Nick, how frequently he can say, all right, create something. And he just goes back and he makes something for that athlete that fits them. And that's something that unfortunately is often lost, lost to the frustration of time limitations, et cetera, but something that's so necessary for all of our patients, but particularly those athletes of varying sports, varying skill levels, varying everything. It's, it's amazing how beneficial that truly can be. Um, kind of along the same lines as you, Dan, I really enjoyed some of the components of Darren's speech, Darren Treasure. So again, kind of going to the sports psychology side of things. In particular, when he's just talking about uh, a U.S. soccer player, a uh, male soccer player when they had the World Cup, who was over and kind of by himself because his support system was very much his family, and his family had to, for appropriate reasons, all be back home in the States. So well, yes, he had his team. Not everything lined up the way you typically would. And I mean, think about the significant change in time zone, in culture, in food, in training, in schedule, in all these things, and not having the typical support system. It just kind of makes a little bit of that thought process of like, huh, what does this look like on that smaller scale? When we talk about, especially here, like how many club sports there are. What does it look like when, you know, you take turns with different parents being the ones that might do some carpool and driving? Maybe the kid is there for the first time without their actual parents. Yes, they have their team and their friends and whatnot, but it's just different things like, huh, where else does this apply? What else is this? component going to be able to possibly use beneficially. Not that I'm the expert, even the slightest on sports med. I've always really appreciated what they can provide, but just other things I hadn't thought about on that performance side and the readiness side. There's like, yeah, there's more opportunity to utilize other health professionals than maybe I've even recognized before. And I already feel like I do a fairly good job in like trying to get the whole team involved in the care for that athlete. And I appreciated that both him and Vanessa both talked about apps that can be used. Because like you said, a lot of people don't have access to a mental performance coach, a sports psychologist. Um, luckily, thank God, like more people are getting access to those individuals. But even just presenting some things that we can use or share with our patients, like, hey, these apps have been recommended to help, like you said, when those transition times happen and maybe they just need some type of routine that they're not implementing yet. So I really appreciated, once again, kind of like making it applicable if you're not working or in a high level situation, okay, how do we take this down um, where there might not be that person available? All right, similar question, but a little different to it. What's the session that caused you to really go back and research further into the topic? So for me, as somebody who has um, had six knee surgeries, three ACLs. <laughs> we're, we're just going to laugh. Pause at that for topic. a laugh. Um, I really found the bear procedure with Dr. Kramer to be super interesting because I think we all know, especially on the surgical side, there hasn't been a lot of innovation when it comes to ACL. Yes. 
and he even mentioned it like, yeah, we've talked about the different types of graphs, but there's not really that big a difference. You know, it's kind of preference. It's based on where they went to school. So to actually see something completely different that they're working through. And the nice thing with where he works um, at Boston Children's and Harvard, you know, they're also doing that research. So it was nice to hear from somebody who was taking it from both the surgical aspect, but then saying, this is all the research we're doing. We're seeing some success. Here's where we're not seeing success. Here's why we think maybe we're not seeing success. Like one of the th things he brought up is the younger age is not as, as successful with the bare procedure. So just it was so interesting to see all the research that they've done. And but like I said, it was also so nice to just finally see something new with the ACL. It's such a hot topic. It's something so much research covers. Right. But what we tend to see is it's really on the rehab side that things are changing. But there hasn't been a lot of change with the surgical side until this bare procedure came around. So, um, you know, I've kind of looked into it a little bit more. I'm just very curious about what he talked about and then even kind of their next steps of research and what will come from that I thought was very interesting and I'd love to hear more about it as they learn more. So are you preparing for your fourth ACL reconstruction? <laughs> I mean, you never know with these knees. I don't, I'll go to Boston, I guess. <laughs> So for me, I feel like this is a little bit of a cheat, um, but I'm going to go ahead and go with my wife's speech <laughs> on the female athlete. Brownie points. Right. <laughs> I mean, K2's speech, obviously, even though I didn't get to actually listen to that because I was listening to Trent at that time for our, for our rotation. Um, but it was actually, it just was kind of fascinating. So as we were going through the conference itself, I kept just opening new tabs on my phone, on the internet for different things I wanted to look further into as we were going. Like, for example, I just literally a couple of days before I was working with a triathlete who had some issues with their hip and I was doing needling and particularly we'd actually started working a lot on um, quadratus femoris and it was kind of funny that it came up in the actual presentation and it's like hmm, more things I need to look at like some specificity in the deep hip rotators and things but the one I kept like adding more and more and more and more tabs of more and more research articles was a lot of the female athlete topics and it did start from before the conference as Sarah was going and prepping for her presentation, it was really interesting. She kept kind of having like something to ask them the next question and the interesting question. They have, you know, a research study talking about why female athletes were less susceptible to hamstring injuries. And one of the things they found in research was less susceptible to skeletal muscle fatigue, not something I was kind of familiar with having seen before. So I started going down that rabbit hole. So I kind of went the research rabbit hole of a lot of those pieces. Then during the presentations, when we had Red S come up, I've not heard to the depth of things that are incorporated within Red S. So it had a lot of things like there are so many more components I need to look into to a greater degree. And again, kind of similar to my, my thing with Darren, like I am not the one to tackle all those, but it just helps me think about here's more things I need to be knowledgeable and need to be aware of and go learn about so I can actually know the questions to ask, know the signs to look for, know how it affects or could because it's not a simple black and white, right? Like some things aren't going to be trackable, aren't going to be consistent, but having a better baseline knowledge there is one of the takeaways I, I thought I could really like I can implement this tomorrow in practice and become a better practitioner for it. I thought one of the interesting things you talked about, the hamstring. So I think a question came up, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there was a question about female athletes and hamstrings. And our whole hamstring panel said, uh, we don't basically, we don't feel comfortable answering that because we all work with male athletes. And it's so interesting that you have just experts in the field that 
And I honestly appreciate that. I appreciate when people say, I don't know, let's turn it over to the female athlete group when they get up on stage and have the people that are more of experts in this area answer that question. And I thought it was so good for our attendees to see that because it's so important to remember that we don't have to know it all. And even the experts don't know it all. And they're willing to say, man, we don't know. We haven't looked at that research or we don't want to answer it because maybe we're just not as knowledgeable. So let's turn it over to those who have. And so I thought that was a really good and interesting moment. It's a common trait of all the top experts, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times Brett, who is a better and more established therapist than I, or I'm just going to go ahead and say Dan as well. Yep. Um, but he's called you to ask questions about things that are your specialty, right? Yeah. He's called me to ask me questions. So it just, it's, it's something I see. It's a consistent trait for the best. They recognize their boundaries. They're amazing at what they do, but they seek out other opinions, and they recognize, like, I'm not the one to answer this, but I know how to find the answer because if the patient did come to me, I'm going to find him, her, they, the answer that they need, but it's not always from me. So I, I love that you brought that up. It's a good point, Becca. Yeah, great point. So for me, the one that has led me to go down a deep rabbit hole is both what Vanessa and Darren talked about on the mental performance side. I, I think as I was sitting there, I'm in a little unique position just because of where my kids are in their ages and their sports and my involvement in coaching, whether I know anything about the sport or not, but just how to try and take what they were speaking on at the elite of the elite level, but yet they still broke it down into a way I felt that I could start to digest to a, to utilize with the youth athlete and, you know, I mean, we had the, the, the privilege at dinner to sit with Vanessa and ask her some questions about how that applies to some scenarios within my children that we were talking about. And my takeaway from that and then a couple of continued education courses that I've taken since the huddle have focused on creating those similar habits of mindfulness or gratitude or, you know, positive self-talk, which I feel like so many youth athletes struggle with because either they feel the pressure or there's an outside pressure coming on. And so positive self-talk is something that they struggle with. And I can relate when I was a youth athlete back in the good old days, how that was something I had an issue with and, and trying to digest those and put them in terms that a nine, a 10, 11, a 12 year old will understand and realize we might focus on that same thing for six, eight, 12 weeks. And again, I'm no expert, but can I help them just take gratitude as an example or positive self-talk of I can do this or I can't do this yet, but with continued effort, it's going that yet will turn into now I can do this as opposed to I can't do this. And that's just been, that, that was really enlightening for me part, partially because of where I am in life, but also then taking that into the clinic and helping patients realize like, you're going to be able to do this. You're going to be able to overcome this little blip in your rehabilitation process with continued work and effort, which you can control. And I, I say this because Vanessa is my friend, so I don't think she'll be offended if I say this. Uh, um, watch out for hate email from Vanessa. <laughs> you it's know the therapist in motion at SpoonerPT.com, <laughs> Vanessa. The thing I appreciate so much about Vanessa, and I don't know Darren as well, is like, it's also, she talks about all the time, it's a military term, it's embracing the suck, right? With our own patients, it doesn't, you can get to positive while still preparing them for the obstacles that are going to occur. And I think sometimes, especially with younger kids, it's, it's hard to know how do you do that with a younger kid? Because 
I mean, they're just experience, experiencing life. So trying to explain obstacles to them can be difficult in that case. But also youth sports has obviously changed completely since the three of us were younger. And so it's figuring out how do you both be positive, explain obstacles, help them with failure. And so it's so interesting to talk to Vanessa and hear Darren. You know, it's not just about being completely positive but preparing people and how do you do that in the best way and that's our job as clinicians too like how do we really prepare our athletes so they can deal with the obstacles that come during rehab or what they might face if they get injured so it is so easy I totally agree Dan to like just go down the like okay more research I want to know how do I help the people in front of me um, including you know like you said even your own kids all right next question so outside of the presentations themselves what was your favorite part about the huddle? It's not just because I love wine, um, but that <laughs> helps, <laughs> especially after a long, a long day oh, of um, good talks and planning. Like you said, is AV going to work and all those questions. But I love that we do the networking on Friday night. And what I love more than anything is that the presenters stick around for it. And so, you know, you're there and you can ask them questions or you're just talking to experts in their field about their week, about their life. And I think it's just such an excellent opportunity to network. That's the point of the huddle, right? We want to bring different sports sports medicine professionals together. And the networking in the evening and even throughout the breaks is just, for me, it's just so nice. You get to know other people. You get to learn about them. You get to make connections. Um, like I said, if you can do it over wine, I'm even happier about it. So for me, I just really, I've just always enjoyed that it's the past two years, it's been an intimate, like smaller group, a good experience. And then everybody really gets to connect with each other at those breaks during networking, um, even after presentations. Yeah, I'm kind of along the same lines. It, it really was nice. Like I said, one of the things before that I appreciate is a lot of the greats and the experts, they they recognize they don't have the answer to everything. And it really was cool to see so many speakers that were also there to learn. You know, They were there, they were active, they were involved, they were engaged. And then that gave everyone the opportunity to keep asking questions and learn from them and just interact at lunch and interact during breaks. I mean, it's just kind of fun when you have like talk about different athletes and things you don't get to see. You got Dr. Rubish, who was sitting right behind me. I mean, just the variety of Broadway athletes, performing arts that she's seen that I just don't have exposure to and had a hard time. Like, how do I even start thinking through conceptually what they need to be able to do with their bodies is amazing. So just fun to have all those resources in one room. Like you said, Becca, kind of the driving force behind the huddle was like, let's get everyone. Let's get the performance coaches. Let's get the strength coaches, the ATCs, the physical therapists, the occupational therapists, massage, physicians. They keep going down the line. So it's fun when you see like little microcosms of that in the groups of just different healthcare providers just learning from each other and recognizing how much they all have to contribute to making everyone better and ultimately the athlete better. All right. So since I think we all kind of agree pretty easily and well on that one, the grand finale. So... The topics themselves, we should do a little talk about like why they were selected and why that's important to us. And as a reminder, either to those sitting in this room with me or those who couldn't attend or have already forgotten, the, the basic topics were ankle foot, hamstring, the female athlete, and kind of the trunk, the core. So with the presentation for the huddle, 
you know, morning session, afternoon session, we try to have a kind of focal point where different providers are all talking around the same topic or same presentation, looking at it from their different aspects, different avenues to get a better fully rounded approach for that. So of those four, like why did we go into those? Why did we choose those topics? So I'll start from a planning perspective. It's kind of twofold. We take the survey results and we see what do people want to learn more about? And like foot and ankle was one that came up a bunch. And I think even the three of us and others on the agenda planning committee were like, we want to do more foot and ankle because we understand how important it is and how overlooked it is still, unfortunately. Like luckily we're starting to look at it more, but it's still, I think, a miss often, especially when it's an injury that's not related to the foot and ankle, how we should still be looking at it. But also we want to kind of keep up with what's new, what's hot, so to speak, in sports medicine. And, you know, the hamstring is a huge issue in the NFL. Lower extremity strains are the number one cause of time away from sport in the NFL. So that's kind of why we went there. Female athlete is becoming, you know, we've even talked about it on the podcast, right? We're starting to realize we need more research there. So let's start that conversation. And so we just, like I said, we really want to take into account what our attendees want, but also what are these up and coming things that we could all learn more about and learn from each other, the different professionals, like how they're handling whatever that situation may be. Yeah, I mean, I feel like sports in general, when you look at sports rehab, sports performance, it's almost like always like you're constantly saying, I need to keep up with what is the current trend? What is the current research? And it's a lot of how the topic selection goes into it. Like you said, Becca, you know, we know that the hamstring is a huge loss of practice time and game time for athletes right now. And there's a lot of debate <laughs> around how to best care for both on the prevention as much as you can, as well as the rehab side of hamstring injuries and issues. The ankle, the foot, such an underappreciated component of actually taking care of an individual. Just you said something doesn't actually always have the injury itself, but plays a role in, oh, you know, just about all of the injuries that you're going to be seeing with your athletes into things that we know are being prevalent right now. You'd brought up in our previous podcast, Becca, was it, I believe 9% of research. That is uh, correct. <laughs> yes, for the female Unfortunately. Over the last how many years we're talking? Was that? From 2017 to 2021. We recognize and we know there is more research being done. There's more research being worked on. But more is still needed. So those things that we're saying like, hey, there's some things coming out. We're learning more. We're doing a little bit better. But how much more is there? That's such an important part just of sports in general. And it's kind of nice that the huddle fits that thought process of what is relevant right now, what is needed right now, both to help your athletes, but also keep preparing you for the future as things continue to progress and change. Well, and I think to add to that across all four categories and then you can throw the ACL in there is like the fifth the thing that was resounding is they're still talking about current literature and what's being done but what still is unknown or you know it is lacking which we all understand that's going to happen in, in literature but it's refreshing to see and hear when when there's when there's studies that were published in the end of 2022 and these leading experts are up on it and they can share it with us and it continues to show their passion. And you look around the room again, where I was sitting at, at the front, just kind of scanning the room every so often, you, you just see these light bulbs go off and in the attendees eyes of like, Oh my gosh, that is so awesome. And it goes back to the last, you know, the last question that I didn't answer on, but to look back and see the speakers that had presented the day before or are presenting the next day, sitting there and understanding the value of learning because of, huh, I need to know who else is in this, this, this area of expertise so that when I get that, 
patient that comes across, I know who I can reach out to, which is also pretty remarkable that all of our speakers have that ability of like, hey, here's my email address or here's my cell phone number. Like reach out and ask questions. I want to collaborate with you on your care of this athlete. Even if you live in New York City, that's fine. Like I'm here to be a sounding board and let's figure this out. Even if I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona, that was remarkable. And I think that that's unique of, I think how we go about setting up our conferences, even without telling them those things, it's just the way that they are and the reason that they've gotten to the level of expert that they have. Well, and what we talk about all the time too, is how much of what ends up in, we'll just call it the general population is initially learned through athletes or athletics, right? Because we're always trying to push them to be bigger, faster, stronger. And so we tend, that research tends to push a little bit farther. And then all of a sudden we realize like, oh, that actually can work. I mean, BFR is a perfect example of that. That can work in other types of populations. And so there's so much to be learned when you're kind of, I don't want to say ahead of it, but like you said, these are experts that are showing us research that maybe hasn't even been published yet. And there's so much to be learned of like, start to critically think, okay, these are things I might actually be able to use with everybody I'm seeing, not just athletes. And so while, yes, it is a sports medicine conference and we do focus on the athlete, it applies to pretty much anybody you see in one way or another, for sure. And I think that um, is something we'll continue to hope to do, you know, year in and year out is bring hot topics, but then also help people understand how it's applicable to really anybody that they're seeing in their clinics. I love it. Well, overall, like I said, I think we all agree, very successful conference. A lot of good thoughts come out of it, a lot of good interest, and a lot of good further questions to be asked and answered. So I'm excited to see, no pressure, Becca, no <laughs> pressure, Becca, what you put together for next year for us, but more good topics, more amazing speakers, and more great collaboration. So if anyone has any thoughts, what they'd like to hear, or things they want to hear more about, you know where to find us, Therapists in Motion at SpoonerPT.com. Otherwise, thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 